And my title is Imperishable Lover. Some of you guys are like, what the? Um, what is he saying? Um, well, let me tell you. So, um, there's going to be a few words that I'm going to teach you guys tonight. If you guys haven't heard them. This is gonna, there's going to be a little bit of theology in this talk. So, it's going to be in your head. So, this would be a good talk for you guys to take notes because there's going to be some concepts that are going to be helpful to... So, I'm just saying, pay attention. This is a really important topic. It's something that our society does not understand and has really uh, affected Christians and the way the Christians think about how we should live life today. So I want to help you understand this as good as I can help you. Let's say it again, okay? 
Christ Jesus. So um, to get this point across, there, there really you should feel a stark contrast in my life now. Um, I want to watch a video. It's a little long, but I think it gets put across well. Um, can you turn this lights on? Is that possible? Um, and uh, has anybody seen The Matrix? Anyone? Okay, about three of you because you're my age. Um, thank you, Brittany. Um, all right, so this is this is from The Matrix. Unfortunately, no one can be 
And I, this is just extremely helpful for me. So this is basically the definition that I gave you guys. It's a little more wordy than, than what you said. So first, it's the reckoning, counting, and justification. Sanctification is the inward making. Secondly, go next. Okay, the righteousness we have by our justification is not our own righteousness. It's not our own. It's alien. It's foreign to us. It's Jesus' righteousness being put on us. Second Corinthians 5.1, right? So it's not our own, but the everlasting perfect righteousness of our great mediator Christ. Computed to us and made our own by faith. He wrote in the 1800s, so the word is cool. Okay, then next. The righteousness we have by sanctification is our own righteousness. God has made us to be inwardly righteous, to actually change. Imparted inherent and rottenness by the Holy Spirit, but neither with much infirmity and imperfection. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit fits in a little bit. And then thirdly, justification is a finished and complete work, and a man is perfectly justified the moment he believes. So, you can't be more justified in God's eyes from the moment that you first believe. But sanctification is an imperfect work, comparatively, and will never be perfect until we reach heaven. You're never going to be perfect, but this is a process that God has us in currently. This is Peter's writings. You guys can see in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, put away all malice and all deceit, he continues by saying, you know, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so abstain from the passions and form of ignorance. He's, he's telling you to, to wage war with sin and feel in your heart. Um, so, uh, I hope that that helps make it a little more clear. Um, if you just write down the mentality, okay? Okay. Alright, let's move on. So, two, how can I have the right motivation? First is we don't live by the law. If we live by the law, that would be legalistic. Emma, in her talk a couple weeks ago on justification, you guys remember the older brother and the younger brother in Luke 15? The older brother, this was him, he was legalistic. He was saying, I have done so much for you, and now I expect that you as my father are going to give to me because of what I have done. So, if you, legalism is God's approval is somehow dependent on my right conduct. So I've done something for God to approve me. And justification just gets right at the heart of this. Because we can't do anything. We needed Christ. The Son of God needed to die for us. So here's some bad reasons to repent or to want to change and be a better Christian. Um, one is you can say, well, I'll look bad. I'll look bad for my people if they knew of coronation or knew of um, whatever it may be. Secondly, um, I'm going to repent so that I'm not excluded from the social circles I'm in. So a lot of you guys go to Bethlehem Northwestern. It's cool to be a Christian. It's cool to, to be kind to other people and to be passionate about God. Um, but it's a bad reason to repent just for the sake of being accepted into social circles. Uh, thirdly, a bad reason to repent would be because then God will give me health, wealth, happiness if I do these things. It's a bad reason. Or, because God will send me to hell if I don't repent. That's a bad reason. Or, because I'll hate myself 
in the morning and lose my self-respect. And some of you guys do this every day you wake up. You don't like yourselves. And you think, I'm going to try and change myself so that I just don't like myself. It's a bad reason. So, um, two reasons why legalism doesn't make sense. First is legalism always distrusts that God could be good enough to give a free gift. So, like the older brother, he, at the end of the story, in Luke 15, he says, You know, I've been working with my friend to the father's like, you wanted a goat? <laughs> like, you literally have everything. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. It's always been yours. It's never not been yours. But you didn't trust that. You didn't trust that all that I have was yours. And so you thought that you needed to work in order to get something from me. It always is trust that God could be, given, could be good enough to give us a free gift. And then, legalism is always pointing inward at self. Do you see that? It's what I'm going to do to change. It's what I'm going to do to get what I want. And if you grew up in a Christian background like me, it, this is really easy to call. Legalism is really easy. I mean, I shared with you guys the first week. I like to use Jesus as a way to make myself look good. I want, I want to gain approval based off of my works. And I've always grown up in a Christian community, and so what do I do? I know the Bible well, and I pray passionate prayers, and I am evangelistic, you know, and I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, is articulate, and I want to be approved by those things. So secondly, we don't live by license. The theological term is antinomianism. What do you got these gnomes? Um, uh, so license. So uh, antinomian. Exactly, it's helpful in the sense. So antinomianism. You just try and write that out. <laughs> I'm not. I don't have up here. So, um, but antinomianism. The middle nomos comes from the Greek word law. So it's anti-law. So it's the opposite. Legalism is saying by law I live or die. Antinomianism is saying that I don't live by the law. I do whatever I want. Okay? So license is I don't worry about sin because God's grace will cover it. That's what Christians say to it. This is license. It's saying I have the ability to do whatever I want because God's grace covers me, because of justification. And you may not even say I want to do bad things. You may just say it's not the biggest deal. It's really, it's really not that big of a deal for me too. I shouldn't really, I don't really need to try and change because God's grace is going to cover me. Or I should just wait for God to change me. Um, so here's some bad reasons to not repent. Um, one would be the sin feels good. You know a sin that's affecting your life and no one else knows it. And you're not confessing it to you like it. It's a bad reason. Secondly, you think the sin is that big of a deal. That's a bad reason. Sin is a big deal. Third, um, you may feel as though your repentance is based off of legalism. You may feel like if I'm repenting, then it may be because I'm trying to earn favor with God. Which, which is a possibility. It really is a possibility. But you could be, by doing that, assuming that you're going to be able to conjure up the right motivation. Like, it's up to you to have the right motivation. And once you get that right motivation, then you'll repent. But Romans 5 8 says, um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you don't need to, to wait for it. 
Um, okay, so uh, those are some batteries that Now, license, you want to distrust that God's law is a reflection of his obedience. So when we think of the Ten Commandments, or we think of any of the commandments, I mean, even in First Peter, we've already been given. Think of any, any of the commandments that you're given, it can feel boring. But even more than boring, you may think that um, it's just trying to box you in. You know, it's just another, another thing to box you in. And the, the lic- licentious part, distrust that God's laws are a reflection of his goodness. Like I said before, the reason Jesus is so compelling to people is because he's the fulfillment of the law. All of our hearts long for someone who's like that, who, who follows the law perfectly, because the law is displays the goodness of God. So when you hear a command in the Bible saying, don't do this, and you say, but I feel so strongly that this is the right thing for me to do, or in your community, they say, hey, we don't think that you should do this, and you say, but I feel so strongly that this is the right thing to do, what you, ultimately what you're saying is that God's plan for my life isn't good. What he has for me isn't as good as what is what I want. And so um, here's the story of this. William and I, um, if you guys don't know, William's my son, he's three. Um, William and I were in the pool the other day, and Sullivan picked up swimming quickly. Well, he's comfortable with the pool, but William is pretty And so he, uh, he's clinging to me as tightly as he can. And he'll go up on the, you know, he wants to go up on the, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but he really likes the ladder in the deep end, and so I try and scale the wall and bring him over, and he's just like, you know, really clinging to me. So the other day, I was like, William, we're going to learn how to float. And I'm trying to get his legs out from under him so he'll like float. And he's got floaties. I mean, the contraption looks like a space shuttle. You know, it's like, there's no way that this dude's going to sink. But he doesn't think it. So I'm like trying to get his legs like out so that he can actually float. He's like really trying to put them on my knees. And so I keep pushing them out, you know. And he's starting to yell at me and start saying, you're not being nice to me. You're not being nice to me. And so I so I said to him, I love you. And because I love you, I want to learn how to swim. Because the pool is going to be a lot more fun if you learn how to swim. But before you swim, you need to be comfortable floating. And we you know we're working through this material. That, you know, <laughs> he was like, okay, no, that makes sense. And he did. No. Um, no, so so he kept he kept yeah, I don't know, so why did I even try? But um but he uh, he kept screaming at me until I was like, I think I said to Justine, I was like, hey, let me bathing suit or something, and Elaine was like, and then he started looking at mom, and all of a sudden he relaxed. And then for about a half hour, we just floated in the pool, like he got it, he figured it out. But the problem with William is that he distrusted me. He didn't think that I had his best in mind, and he had more fun. He told me he had more fun floating than he did when he was clinging to my neck. But he, but he wasn't willing to go there because in his little mind, at the age of three, he already believed that he knew what was best instead of his dad. And we don't do the same thing. When we think of the law and it feels boring, intuitively we assume we must be in the right. This must be wrong. I must know right. And so I'm not going to even try. Because God wouldn't have good, our goodness in mind. We wouldn't have good things for us by us following the law. He would, he would do that. But that's not true. 
We take the hands are a reflection of God's heart. And they're good. Jesus is a compelling man. So, license is trust that God's law is a reflection of his goodness. And license is always pointed inward at self, just like legalism is. They have the same root. They both distrust God's goodness and therefore they go in on themselves and say, I'm going to find it within me. Legalism says, I'm going to find it within me by working really, really hard. License says, I'm going to find it within me by following my passions, whatever they are. Because God's law is not good. That's legalism, it's licentiousness. But as Christians, the way that our motivation is we live by love. Paul used to fight sin because we were created to love, and we live by love in the gospel. So, okay, so Romans 5 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame. He's talking about enduring until the end. He says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, when you become a new creation in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit in you. And it's God's love being poured into your heart so that you know the truth for the rest of your life. That He loved you simply because He loved you. And that is a promise you can bank on. And it changes absolutely everything. So, let's go back to. Oh, sorry. It's what love makes us trust. That's what I have said that. That's crystal. Um, so, let's go back and look at um, some of the examples I gave for legalism and how love answers those things. So, for legalism, because I'll look bad. That's a reason that you might want to change. But in the gospel, Christ already looked bad for you, so now you can be honest about your sin. You, you have the alien righteousness of Christ on you, and so there's no effect on you before God, so you can be completely honest about your sin. You can confess away. So that's okay. You can look bad. You can look really bad, and that's fine. Secondly, the exclusion of the social circle I belong to. But you have already received acceptance from God in Christ. You do not need acceptance from other people. And this is a hard one. I mean, there's ditches that you bruise that you work in in your mind, and you just think, this is the thing that's going to satisfy me. So I'm not saying it's like, oh, you're just going to get it tonight. These are things that you have to fight to remind yourself of constantly. We've already been given God's acceptance. In the moment, when Alicia um, feels the desire to use her relationships for her own ends, she needs to fight to remember. Sorry, Alicia, but um, she needs to fight to remember that, that God loves her. In the moment, when I want to have all of you guys think that I'm great, I need to fight to remember that I don't need any of your acceptance. All of you can think this talk is terrible, but I have the alien righteousness of Christ on me, and God loves me simply because he loves me. That's, that's how I fight. Thirdly, because then God will not give me health, wealth, and happiness. But the gospel would say, you are promised an imperishable inheritance to come. It's not yet. We've been told it's not yet. But what's coming is far better than you could ever possibly dream or imagine. So trust the goodness of God. Trust that what he has in mind for you is far better than you could ever have for yourself. Fourth, because God will send you to hell. Huh? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's Romans 6.23. You, you, have no, you have no need to worry about hell because of what he's done for you. You have no need to feel anxiety whether or not you're going to make it because it's Christ that is going to pour you. Good. Because I'll hate myself in the morning and lose my self-respect. And this is a tough one. When you think of yourself, it doesn't matter. What God thinks of you does. And that's, that's a lifetime. 
we as Christians get that. We get that experience because we have the Spirit in us. And so as we behold Christ and we see Him in the Gospel, we see Him in the Bible, we become transformed in His image. So, um, three thoughts on that. First is, do the Spirit of disciplines. And if I'm, I'm thinking of Bible and prayer, I put community in that category, confessing sin, being in church, being under the local authority of the church. Do the spiritual discipline. So Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. So you have the word in your heart, you memorize scripture, and it's going to help you to not sin. It's going to help you to love other people if you do that. If you know the Bible well, if you have it in your heart. Secondly, uh, trust in all times of people for it, but before him, God is refuge for us. And we should be, 1 Peter 5, 7, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If all of our um, anxieties, thrust of our lives should be put on the God of prayer. Secondly, fight with intensity. I think it's a tough one for some of you guys in here because it may not, it may feel legalistic to fight sin intensity. And what I'd say is it seems like this is what Peter's calling us to do. He's saying, well, like little words, beloved, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, completely cut off from the passions of the flesh. And then he says, they are waging war against your soul. They're waging war. So what do you have to do? You have to wage war back. You have to fight with intensity. Now, um, for those of you who feel like this is a hard principle, this back in the uh, by Tim Keller. Imagine that a baby bird falls from its nest in the sight lines of a fox. The bird cannot yet fly, hence the fall, but there is a small protective hole at the base of the tree that is within the scurry's reach. The fox pounces and sets out after the bird. What should the little bird do? Of course, it should scamper to the hole to get out of immediate danger. But if, as time goes on, all the bird ever does is scamper, it will never learn what it has been designed for, to fly. And eventually, it will surely be eaten by the predators. It is designed to escape. So, the bird falling out of the tree and running the hole is representative of your heart may not have changed, but you know that you shouldn't be walking in sin. So you may say, well, my heart hasn't changed, so it's okay for me to continue you know, to look at pornography or, or whatever. I'm just waiting for, for God to change me. No, you do everything you possibly can to limit yourself from sin. Jesus says, cut off your right hand if it's going to make you sin. It's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one hand than to go into hell. So he says, cut off your hand. Completely cut it off. Don't allow it to even get an inch on you. Um, but eventually, the heart, we want to, to change. And how does the heart change? God's love has been poured into our hearts and will not put us to shame. God's love is going to be the thing that changes you and helps you become someone who is a loving person. So, um, we were meant to fly, not meant to stir to, to a little hole. But in the meantime, if you feel like you're weak in an area, do everything you can to get to that hole. Don't allow yourself to sin. Um, from that book, J.C. Ryle, 
we had a couple of helpful um, distinctions here. So justification is our own works have no place at all, right? And simple faith in Christ is the one thing we didn't needful. Sanctification. In sanctification, our own works are of vast importance. And God gives us fight and watch and pray and strive and take pains and labor. Secondly, justification admits of no growth or increase. A man is as much justified as the first hour, comes to Christ by faith as he will be for all eternity. Secondly, sanctification is eminently a progressive work. It admits of continual growth and enlargement so long as a man lives. So you should be constantly growing. And last, Justification is the act of God about us and is not easily discerned by others. So, someone can say, I believe, but they may not actually believe. It's hard to, it's hard to discern whether someone actually is trusting that God is part of from sin. But sanctification is the work of God within us and cannot be hidden in outward manifestations in the eyes of men. So, if you are walking with God and being sanctified, there's going to be fruits of love in your life. Because as you've been Compelled by God's love, you are going to be transformed into a loving person. So it means to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. So, uh, next point. Third, we confess. And you may feel like confession is, or you may feel like it's just really hard to even take one step forward. And what I'd say is start with confession. All of us can confess. You can confess your sin to other people. Confess whatever it is that you have been harboring in your heart. You haven't been sharing with anybody else. So, the ABCs, Ds of confession. I made this up. Alright, A, admit sin. So it's a big deal. You need to admit sin. This is what confession means. I was in a This is specifically what I Secondly, brag about Christ, which really helps against legalism and licentiousness. What has Christ done for me? I was sinful. What has he done for me? And how has what Christ done for me specifically affect the sin? How does it specifically affect the sin? Brag about Christ. C, course correct. I'm very proud of this. Admit sin, brag about Christ, course correct. So, repentance, 180. You are moving in the opposite direction. No matter what it takes, be the, be the little bird that scares the hole. It's far better than being, being eaten by the fox. So, whatever it takes, you need to start moving in that direction. Falling forward in that direction. Do it, course correct. And indeed, depend on Christ. It's not by us that's going to change. The Holy Spirit in us is what changes us and moves us to love God more and to love other people more. And so, do whatever you can, course correct, and say, God, would you please do this in me? Please do this. Depend on Christ. Alright, so, we should fight sin because you were created to love. Okay? You were created to love. That's why we should fight sin. That's, that's the reason you should be more loving. Um, I want to end with uh, a quote from a book called The Everlasting Righteousness by Horatio Conard, who's also a guy from the 1800s. Um, and this is speaking about justification. And, um, I, I want to end on this because I think it's easy for some of you guys to feel anxiety after a talk like this. Is if it's like, even though I'm telling you right now that you're accepted in Christ, 
you may still feel a little bit like, but am I? Do I, what, what do I need to do then? This is a helpful quote. All right, it's an easy. So, with a weak faith and a fearful heart, many sinners stand before the ghost. So that's us, in our anxiety and all things we feel. But it is not the strength of his faith, but the perfection of the sacrifice that saves. It's not how much faith I have, like Emma said, it's the object of the faith. No feebleness of faith, no dimness of eye, no trembling of hand can change the efficacy, the, um, how powerful it actually works. It actually works as an efficacy of our friend's offering. The vigor of our faith can add nothing to it, nor the poverty of our faith take anything from it. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if at times the eyes so dim that cannot read these words, through blinding tears of bewildering mist, faith rests itself on a certain knowledge of the fact that the inscription is still there. Or at least that the blood itself, of which these words remind us, remain in all its power and suitableness upon the altar of unchanged and unfaced. As God says that the believing man is justified, who are we then that we should say, we believe, but we do not know whether we are justified? What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And for some of you, this is the first step of repentance, because you don't believe that what God did is sufficient. What God has said, let no man put asunder, what God has joined together. But he's saying Jesus Christ is sufficient for your sins. Believe that. Right? You not see how evil it is to not be, to not trust the God of the universe is right in sending his son that is not sufficient. So, um, I'll pray for us and I've got a couple of collection questions for you and then we'll, we'll do some more sugar. And Father, I pray that um, we would take our sins seriously. I pray that we would confess our sin and we would be honest about it. I pray that you would make us wise and help us to see how your goodness plays itself out, um, how your gospel has transformed us and will continue to transform us. In Jesus' name, Okay, so I just have two questions. The first is, is there unconfessed sin in your life that you know is present? What is it? Just write it down. Unconfessed sin. And it could be that you, when you first got the project, confessed everything, but now even in the last couple of weeks, something's happened. Something specific. And then secondly, what are sin patterns you know of in your life? Things that you constantly going back to. I love how Alicia said, I find myself coming back to wanting to get this opportunity. But you, you just begin to see patterns in your life. We all begin to see patterns in your life. So what are patterns in your life? What are you hoping for in those sins? And how does the gospel change the life?